Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to Wood Talk. For woodworkers, by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Welcome to Wood Talk number 144 for August 14th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about finished storage and disposal, hand saws for resawing, and the properties of Danish oil. But before we get to all that good stuff, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by Festool helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. And by SawStop. SawStop is North America's number one cabinet saw and the world's safest table saw. Visit sawstop.com slash 175 to learn more about the professional cabinet saw model that Matt chose for his basement workshop. Then click on Find a Dealer to see the saw in action near you. And by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. All right, well, time to talk about what's on the bench. I'll go first, because that's my privilege. Yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> I'm going first. Um, I am actually doing a couple different things. First, I'm finishing up the uh, the base portion of this blanket chest that I'm making. It's a green and green style blanket chest. And I wonder if you run into this, Matt. Sometimes on more complex projects, you get to a point where there are numerous directions you could go in terms of, okay, do I work on this part next or do I do a sub-assembly now? And you kind of struggle with which one is the best to do. And I guess... You know, we're in sort of a unique position because we typically film this stuff. I have a, a, another side of my brain that's nagging me saying, is this the most organized way to present it to people? Um, so, so I think it's hard enough as it is, but if you're trying to teach other people how to do this, you have even more pressure on you to make sure that you do this in a sensible order. You know what I mean? 
Oh, yeah, because you're going to have somebody that's going to contact you and say, well, well, wouldn't it be better if you did it this way? Yeah. But then on the flip side, you're going to have somebody come in and say, well, you know, I'm glad you did it this way because that's the way I normally do it. So, yep. Yep. yeah, it's I, I, I struggle with stuff like that all the time. It's like, do I get the little things out of the way or should I work on the bigger picture? It's kind of like when I tackle food on my plate. Do I eat the things I like first and leave the things I don't afterwards? Yeah. yeah. Or how do you do that? Well, I'm very picky about that kind of thing. I like I like my food <laughs> in very specific proportions so that if someone asked for like, oh, can I have a bite? To them, it's just a simple bite. To me, it's a very important part of my whatever food to whatever side dish ratio. There you go. Exactly. You know? so like, yeah, because we don't want to mess with those ratios. That will really, really mm-mm. screw you up. Like Thanksgiving <laughs> is like a giant math problem for me. Um, we don't going back to the whole thing. I'm going to get off the food right now because this is before I eat and uh-oh. I've been juicing today and I'm starving for solid oh, food. No. So we probably should stay away from ratios of side dishes to entrees. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, one thing I was thinking is sometimes depending on what it is that I'm working on on the project, if I'm working with, say, like a secondary wood or even if I'm not, if I'm just working with something that I know is going to kind of be hidden away a little bit, it's something that I'm not worried about people's eyes being drawn to immediately. Mm-hmm. There's a part of it almost thinks that I, I like to build those first because then if I have them hanging around the shop and as t- things tend to happen to get knocked off the, the workbench or somehow it's, you know they get messed up a little bit, they're the least thing that I'm worried about having like some sort of you know physical deformity on. <laughs> yeah, sure. No, that makes perfect sense. And, and I think when with something like Green and Green or other very detailed where there's like finishing detail work like the ebony plugs, you wind up having to do some of that uh, mortising for those ebony plugs well before you're at the finish line point because you, you need to do it when the pieces are flat on the workbench, you know? So it's it does make it a little bit tricky to talk about something that's a finishing element while we're still somewhere in the middle of, of this project. So it's always a bit of a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. Um, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's a mind bender. It can be. It can be. <laughs> Dr. Mindbender, just reminding me of G.I. Joe. All right. Um, the other thing is I'm, I'm going to Nashville tomorrow. You're going to, oh, you're going to hit like, you know, was it uh, uh, all the barbecue down there? I mean, are you even like, is that the whole purpose for this? You're just going to like go feast for a little while I'm or, actually, or maybe taking some country music? Well, I was actually saying I'm going to pursue my, my real dream in life, which is to be a country music singer. I knew it. And so you're going to do like an open mic night. Do you know which one you're going to go to? Is it there going to be a lot of like, you know, other struggling artists there with <laughs> yeah. you? Whichever one won't kick me out. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm actually going to a Powermatic Jet event. And I think it's their, I think it's the manufacturing facility that's based in Nashville, but uh, it's it's in Tennessee. And I will be going to this press event. And that, the interesting thing is I'm trying to figure out, do they have anything new that wasn't at AWFS a couple weeks ago, or is this just the same stuff? And now I get to see it up close. Like why would they, if it's not something new, why would they have another event right after AWFS? You know, that's the same thing I always think of with the auto shows. You have like the really big giant one at the beginning of the year in Detroit. And then suddenly they start going elsewhere. And I'm thinking, well, if you wanted to see the car, you should have gone to the Detroit one because I can't imagine them coming in and being like, well, actually since the last time we were here, we have new car mats. So <laughs> these ones are much nicer than the ones we had on display there before. So I am going to venture to say that perhaps uh, the only thing new about these items compared to AWFS is maybe these are just happen to be like a different version of the same model <laughs> with less fingerprints. Right. Well, they have uh, the big thing at AWFS for Powermatic was the PM1000. Did you see that at all? Oh, no, but it sounds really impressive. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Well, it's actually 1,000 less than the one that's already there, and I don't mean dollars, just the number. 
Oh, okay. Um, well, in that case, it sounds yeah. mm, still impressive, but not as impressive. Well, this is like the little brother of the PM2000, which is kind of the their more, most popular model that they have. And it's sort of, um, you know how the hybrid saws used to target the, the home woodworker in a sense that they were 110 uh, volt or 115 volt, however you, you write that down. Um, but it was meant to go with power that everybody has in their garage. And uh, right. so it's kind of bringing those cabinet saw quality uh, parts and pieces into a, a, a a saw with a motor that can actually be plugged in anywhere. So it's kind of that thing, it's, it's, but it's, but it looks totally just looks like the PM 2000. <laughs> so, so it, it, it basically it's kind of like the saw that I have from, from saw stop where it's, it, it's the same body and it's the same features as the one with the 220. but this is for, um, for my house. Well, and the horsepower, you know, <laughs> yeah. is a lot less. In fact, if you look at the, the stats on the PM 1000, it looks like a, like a bullseye direct hit at the saw stop. What what do they call that one? The professional cabinet saw now? I, I, yeah, the, the, the professional cabinet saw. It, oh my gosh, isn't it horrible? I can't remember the name. Is it like the one and three quarter horse saw? I yes, it's the one and three quarter horsepower. Okay. okay, all right. So that it looks like a, a direct shot at that particular model. So um, yeah, so I'm, I'm anxious to see it in person, but I already know about that. Like, what I want to see is I want to see them rip the cover off of like a saw stop competitor that they came up with <laughs> and be like, here it is. And then I get to take a picture and show it to everybody, but I'm sure that's not going to happen, but that's what I'm hoping for. Oh, you can keep dreaming for that. That'd be awesome, actually. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's what's going on with me. How about you? Sweet. Well, actually, there's pretty much nada going on in uh, the basement <laughs> workshop. I finished up uh, the large order of uh, photo boxes for Samantha. Mm-hmm. And then this weekend, I am getting ready... Uh, both of my kids, their birthdays are approximately about a week apart from each other, and it's at the end of August and the beginning of September, and my daughter is turning sweet 16 and wants to have a huge party in our backyard, so my weekend was spent building a uh, nice-looking fire pit, so nice. that, that was about it. But that, nice. the extent of my woodworking there was I did have to bring out a, a board that I properly cut so that it would go across the area I was going to do so I could put my level on it <laughs> okay. and figure it out from there. So it has been a little bit boring for me, but uh, I think when I get off the show tonight, I'm actually going to go in and, and just play around a little bit. Nice. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's going to be something with a tool. Maybe a broom, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I do need to pick up some uh, some shavings. They, there's definitely all over the place. I'll maybe do a little sharpening. You know how like, you have to have that one day where you just tweak around with your tools a little bit? Yeah, I think yeah. that's tonight's going to be it. Well, see, though, sometimes it's the best way to do it. Like If you have to sharpen and you're in the middle of a project and it hits you and you go, crap, this is a dull tool, I need to stop and you know lug out all the stones and everything, that's not the fun way. It's To me, I like it when you say, you know what, I'm going to take a a one or two hour period of time. I'm going to sharpen everything, just get it done. And and that's, you know, you could relax while you're doing it. I think that's a better way to do it than to kind of just go as needed. Uh I I totally agree because it always seems like the the one hand plane that I always go to will be the one that I'm like, "Ah, did I sharpen this last time? And then I take two, you know, passes and I'm like, nope, turns out it didn't so yeah yeah, it's better just to do it even if maybe it doesn't need it maybe i'll just do like a quick fine honing on it or something just to give me that peace of mind so that i know it's taken care of totally and for sure i do need to kind of hit the uh the broom in there a little bit um there's some spider webs that are hanging down that i'm like where did you guys move in and how come you're not paying rent (laughs) they're your little buddies your shop helpers Uh, All right, let's move into what's new. We only have one item here, and this is one that if you're an internet woodworker, and shoot, these days, even if you're not a woodworker, 
it's going to be hard to escape Frank Howarth's videos. Now, we've talked about these stop-motion videos several times on the show, and his yeah. stuff, dude, is just blowing up. Like, in terms of, you know, being a viral video, being passed around in non-woodworking circles. Um, well done, Mr. Howarth. And Oh, yeah. I mean, my, my family will actually watch these things, and then once again, they look <laughs> at me and they're like, how come that doesn't happen in your shop? That's so much better than what you do, Matt. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, my mom even messaged me. She's like, because I guess she saw me, I posted something on Facebook, and she's like, that is just amazing. You know, and I'm like, shut up, mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you don't know what you're talking about. You obviously don't watch enough of these videos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but, but really fantastic stuff. It's just, it's so entertaining to watch because there's no human being in it, and, and the pieces are moving around, and it just becomes, uh, with the stop-motion animation, it's like, you know, real-life cartoon in a way. It uh, is, absolutely. It reminds me a little bit of, like, Gumby from when I was growing yeah. up, and they had the uh, the old Gumby reruns, <laughs> but a lot better. I like these characters in this one. Yeah, now, as someone who, uh, you know, you and I both make a lot of video content of our projects, I usually estimate that by filming, the process of filming and editing adds about three times as much like total time investment in a particular project mm-hmm. than just doing the project and building it alone. What would you, I mean, if, if that's in the same ballpark for you, what would you estimate doing a stop motion video would add? Oh man, that's gonna it's gonna easily add ten times more onto it. I mean, I, I did stop motion stuff with my kid when he was uh, playing with his Legos. In fact, we posted a couple of the videos, and that just to do like a quick like three minute video mm-hmm. was just that took a better part of the night. And that was with him just sitting there watching me do all the voiceover action and everything else. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I actually uh, I said that to someone on Facebook. They said, you know, geez, that's probably gonna add three times. And I'm thinking, no, three oh. times for a regular video. This I I did the same thing. I estimated about. About 10 times the amount of work than just building the project alone. Absolutely. And I know for a fact that I, I do believe that Frank has a video that goes along with this one where he actually shows the, uh, the creation of it and how he does the stop action and everything. Yeah. But still, that doesn't do justice to how long this actually takes to do. And there's a lot of thought laid out into this. I mean, it, this really, you know, we were just talking about with you at the beginning there, uh, trying to figure out which, which thing are you going to start with? Are you going to show the sub-assembly? Are you going to show this or that? Yeah. This takes even more brain power to figure that out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and then the thing is, like, it's all made to create the illusion that everything is doing it by itself. So he has to put himself in sort of precarious positions sometimes with spinning blades as he's trying to get the right shot, but keep his hands out of the shot. Right, absolutely. This is something where you don't want a loved one walking in going, (laughs) what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So way to go, Frank. That's awesome. It's great to see just an independent producer like that uh, doing his thing and, and doing it very well. Absolutely. It's gorgeous. Definitely go check it out. Yes, he's gorgeous. Um. Poll of the week. (laughs) Poll of the week this week by our buddy Tom Iovino at Tom'sWorkbench.com asked the question: What's the most that you've spent on a tool? And this is uh, this is not isolated to just power tools because, of course, as we know, there are super premium uh, hand tool brands out there: Bridge City Toolworks, Sawyer and Steiner, Breeze Planes. I mean, there's there's a lot of expensive stuff out there too. So the question is: What's the most you've spent? Now he puts so many ranges in here. That I'm, I'm having trouble extracting like a meaningful thing to say in the form of audio for everybody. Uh, we'll put the link there if you want to see the breakdown. But let's just look for like, I don't know, what's the greatest percentage? We've got 21, almost 22% of the votes say $2,500 plus. And that's, that's the highest number he had on there. Um, so 21% have hit the highest number 
that was there. Twenty uh, percent said between five hundred and seven hundred and fifty dollars, uh, and then it's just uh, almost equal for the ones in the middle. So okay. yeah, it, def- it sounds like some people either are single or they have very understanding spouses or at the opposite extreme they're really really good about keeping their spouses in the dark yeah that could be it too no that's this has always been there you just quickly cover it with sawdust no yeah exactly i've always had this that's the trick um i even posted a picture in that poll of because i was curious what the current price is but a powermatic 20 inch helical head planer is on Amazon right now. And that's a pretty fundamental tool. Maybe not that brand, but it's a fundamental tool for most power tool shops. That unit is $4,300, which exceeds even the highest rating of, of uh, Tom's poll here. Wow. Which is crazy, right? <laughs> that is. That's insane. But you know that there's somebody, there's a few people out there that are like, what? That's on my Amazon wish list. What are you talking about? <laughs> my family's going to buy that for me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, that's pretty cool stuff. And it's not to, you know, not to focus on the money aspect of it, but this is a hobby for a lot of people. So, uh, and for other people, it's a profession. So in mm-hmm. both, in both areas there, you've got hobbyists who it's just their extra income going into it. And if you got a lot of income, well, there you go. Uh, and pros. And sometimes in the case of pros, it, it is about spending a good amount of money to get a quality tool so that your business runs more efficiently, you know? So. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe that's what, maybe the poll should have really been more specific too. as a hobbyist. How much have you spent? And I'm sure then maybe the numbers would be a little bit more or, you know, a little bit more. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, less. <laughs> well, well. Ultimately, I think if you were going to specifically ask pros, you would have need to have uh, needed to have higher numbers than the 2,500. I think it almost excludes pros to an extent just by capping it at 2,500. Yes, um, yes very uh, much so. Cool. Yeah, I, I can think of at least a couple of maybe a, a table saw or um, a nice CNC machine or what's on my Amazon wish list? <laughs> a DVD. <laughs> yeah, DVD. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move into our kickback segment. That's where you tell us some stuff about some things, which is always nice. Yeah, I would actually prefer it if we get to the point where kickback is in the form of monetary and it's kickback from somebody who wants to advertise with us. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I hope that doesn't sound too greedy. Uh, I think it does. Uh, all right. Okay. Well, so, in that case, I'm the greedy one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we have a kickback here from William. It's actually in the form of a voicemail, which is kind of nice, and he has yeah. some tips about rust removal. Hey, guys. This is William in Tennessee. I uh, just thought I might mention. Hey, William, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be in your... Want to uh, go walk around the city for a little bit? Maybe listen to Mark <laughs> do a little yodeling? Yeah, lately. All right. Um, yeah, I'm going to be too busy. I wish I could hang out with some people, but I'm coming back the next day. All right, here we go. Guys, this is William in Tennessee. I uh, just thought I might mention, in case you had never heard of it, you can get a plumbing or like toilet bowl cleaner called The Works at Walmart or any dollar store or anything for about a dollar, dollar fifty a bottle. Then if you fill up a Tupperware bin with it or however much it takes to completely cover your tool. This stuff is amazing. It'll take the rust right off. Uh, it comes out looking like a brand new tool. Uh, but anyway, check out some YouTube videos or something. I'm not sure how long to soak it for. I usually soak it for about 30 minutes or an hour, and it does the job. But just make sure to put some oil or paint or whatever you're going to put on it afterwards or it'll rust right back. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Very nice. Cleans and disinfects. 
You know, whenever I think of the works, maybe I shouldn't mention this, but that was the one we used to put into a plastic bottle with some uh, aluminum foil and then run like crazy and it would explode. <laughs> well, I was looking on Amazon and he he said a bottle, so I'm assuming he's talking about the liquid form, but there's it seems like the company makes a number of different products for uh, not just toilets, but cleaning sinks and stuff like that too. So, um, you know, maybe do a little digging like William mentions, look on YouTube and see what people are actually using. Uh, because I looked initially, and there's also the uh, the little toilet things, like the the oh, what do you call them? <laughs> the, the little discs. That, oh yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. You you put it in, and it just dissolves as yeah. it goes as you're flushing and stuff like that. Yeah, so they have those too, and I'm sure that's not what you're supposed to use. <laughs> that would be awesome if you could just set it on it and took care of itself, just like a Frank Howarth video. <laughs> there you go. Clean your own tools automatically. Uh, all right, you got these other two. Okay, well, this uh, next one came in from Lamar, and Lamar was saying, you know, hey, a few few episodes, y'all were talking about books that inspire you. There you go, and Mark Moore, maybe from Nashville, maybe Lamar's down that way. <laughs> You'll be practice. hearing quite a bit of that. There you go. Uh, here is one that I like. It's not a typical woodworking book, but it is very interesting. Uh, and Lamar sent in a link over at Amazon, and it's called Built – oh, uh, what is it called? It's uh, Built Last David Macaulay. Built, built to Last. Built to last. Oh, you know what? I got the wrong link in there then. Anyways, it's, it shows how castles, cathedrals, and mosques were designed and made. And Lamar was like, it just looked like the ingenuity and tools that inspire me. So there are some rather interesting designs in there. So maybe it's one of those things that if you find you know inspiration in some really odd places, maybe through just overall designs, either in a building or even in nature, this might be a book that could potentially inspire you. Hmm. Very nice. So we will have a link in the show notes to get you over there, seeing as I cannot remember the actual name of the book. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take care of it for you. Sweet. And actually, that was the only one we had coming in from Lamar. It just happens to be it's two different um, fonts that I have on here in the the show notes. Oh, no wonder I was confused. (laughs) That's Well, it's because it's just you and I. It's very confusing. We don't have the third voice to even us out. Yeah, you know, I guess we should mention Shannon's not here. Actually, we just have Shannon gagged and bound in the back. We're not letting him talk today. (laughs) Shut up. Um, <laughs> he's you know he's over at his what his first uh, uh, no, vacation he, home. Yeah, he's at main, the, the main one. Yeah, so not his secondary vacation home, but the main one. Right, um, yeah, we don't want to confuse that just in case people are wondering which location to find yeah. him at. Yeah, and and we're also because I'm going to be out of town. We're recording this on. Oh, I should I should have mentioned that earlier because if I'm talking about when I'm going to be out of town, people are going to be confused. <laughs> They're like they talking about next Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, we're actually recording on Monday night, and uh, we're going to release the show as normal on Wednesday, and I'll be out of town on Wednesday. So there you go. Now it all makes sense. Wow, who'd have thought that without Shannon be here, we'd just fall to pieces at once again? <laughs> it's just so so darn confusing. Um, okay, I just want to mention real quick, Audible, of course, is a sponsor of the the show tonight, and. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. Where is the little thing that I have to read? <laughs> <laughs> it's right below the voicemail. <laughs> okay. Uh, the podcast, of course, is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. Uh, for our listeners, we mentioned this before, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. That's audiblepodcast.com slash woodtalk. Now, I think we'll do another set of recommendations real quick because it's a, 
it's another, what is it, another month. And by now, if you're not on a new book, you're very slow. You're not using that 2X feature in the app. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I love that 2X. I wish that people out in the real world would do it on 2X once in a while. It's like, hi, you, you speak very slowly. Hold on a second. <laughs> oh, much better, much better. Let me pull those words right out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So for, for me, well, let's, you know what? Shannon did send his in. Let's do his real quick. I think we've mentioned this in the past on the show. A book called Shop Class as Soulcraft by Matthew Crawford. Oh, that does sound uh, familiar. Yeah, and Shannon says it's not specifically about woodworking, but it is about uh, craft and and the very, very similar vein to what we do as woodworkers that we can really relate to. Um, So that's what uh, he's listening to right now, which sounds like a good read. Um, I'm listening to something a little bit, maybe a little weird. It's called The Happiness Advantage by Sean Acor. Acor? 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 So there's an advantage to being happy other than just feeling happy and more it makes than, you feel good and you get those endorphins more than you might think i was actually looking at some ted talks on netflix the other day and ran across one uh by this dude and it was basically talking about how the way especially in western culture the way we set up our achievements to produce happiness it's basically like you you work hard you succeed at something and then you'll be happy right that's the the typical order that we follow but in our world as soon as you achieve that thing the next goal is set up for you, you know, so you get a certain salary and you've, you've succeeded, but then what's your next goal to make more money. So the, the happiness goal just keeps moving further and further back. And, and frankly, I think this is applicable to woodworkers too. building projects as you, you finally reach a goal. I just did my first project with, with bent lamination. This is awesome. But what do you do? You set the next goal. Um, so the, the it, so it's kind of rewiring your brain to start to be more happy in the moment as opposed to, you know, putting happiness as a goal that you'll eventually get to. Um, so, hmm. so I don't know. I, I just thought it was a very positive kind of book. So I'm, I'm interested in it. No, that sounds fantastic. Cause I do actually run into those issues. I think a lot of people won't admit it to themselves that you will run into that. We, you suddenly attain this goal and you're like, ah, now what do I have? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why can't you love what you just attained? I mean, you worked so hard for it. It should last more than just a fleeting moment. Yeah, yeah. And and ultimately, the happier you are, the more successful you're going to be, the, the better your work is going to be, the better your projects are going to be if you actually enjoy what the heck you're doing. Um, so, yes, I thought it was a good read. I'm, I'm just really just now getting into it uh, in the beginning. So maybe I'll, I'll report back on, on it. But um, very good stuff. So what do you Sweet. got? Well, I have one. And this is on my list. As soon as I finish the I, currently I am listening to all of the Game of Thrones books, which is just really helps me get through my day because I love the idea of the exact opposite of your happiness. There's slash and burn <laughs> and kill and blood and pillage. So it's really fantastic when I'm at work and I'm like, I really don't like my coworkers. And dude, that's a long, long series. I mean, are you just doing the first book or the whole series um well right now i am uh three quarters of the way through the second book okay all right so yeah i've still got a long way to go so i might <laughs> yeah. actually take a break and head into this one book that i i just heard about the other day it's called savage continent europe in the aftermath of world war ii these again the exact opposite of what you were just talking about with happiness advantage <laughs> there yeah. uh essentially this is by keith lowe and really the, the gist of it is this is a historical book and this is all um uh, non-fiction and it really comes down to the the decade after World War II in Europe and talking about how like off kilter things were, how really almost kind of brutal it was and how this actually set up for some of the things that we see today. You know, we really mm-hmm. think of maybe the days after World War II being like, a, hey, it's, it's a really great time. The war is over. We're rebuilding. Woo. And in fact, actually, there were a lot of 
for the lack of a better term, atrocities, and those things led into maybe conflicts that we're seeing today. Yeah. So it's I, I I hate to think of you know things like this as being like really super interesting. I'd, I'd prefer to think of more peaceful things to be really interesting. But when you kind of see these subtext of what's you know what happened then that sets it up for today it's like that makes so much more sense for a lot of the things that are happening well it's you know what they say it's uh you take the good you take the bad you take them both and there you have the facts of life oh I, you know what that reminds me of uh when uh blair used to come over and uh we used to just <laughs> sit on the <laughs> uh, so. good old tootie um, oh yeah she was, she was i loved her roller skates she borrowed my skate <laughs> ring if i think about it where now. the where we going with this show what? This, I don't know. this is what happens we should really reel that here. back in maybe uh, move on to the next thing <laughs> oh sorry about that folks uh, this is a woodworking show i promise and you know uh, related to this i did want to thank uh, listener jim who listens to the show and said that uh, we we kind of dropped the ball on talking about ear protection and safety for sound and i think this ties in well because i will be using the earbuds that jim sent to me which was incredibly nice of him, a set of Audio-Technica earbuds that are noise-canceling earbuds. Ooh, and not nice. not exactly like your standard noise-canceling. These have microphones on each earbud that listen to the sound, and then it actually uh, interprets what the sound is, the frequency, and it tunes into the loud noise. So it's one of those things where if you're working with your planer running or the jointer running or something, and then a loved one walks in and starts talking, you can actually hear them but the tool sound is um, is sort of somewhat uh, knocked down. Oh, nice. Okay, <laughs> yeah. all right. So, yeah, so it doesn't raise their voice. It just brings it to the actual level and it kind of lowers the other one. Nice. Yeah, it doesn't block everything is the point. Right. It blocks what it's supposed to block, like a very intelligent system. So I haven't really used it yet, but I just wanted to thank Jim for that. And that's something as uh, woodworkers, if you're listening to tunes and uh, podcasts or audiobooks, that may be something you want to look into because it sounds pretty cool. Nice. Very nice. Cool. All right. Let's move into our email. Matt, you got the first one. Okay. Well, this first one comes in from John and he says, you know, I am planning on building an acoustic guitar and I don't really want to buy a pre-milled kit, which means that I had, I had, uh, you know what? I completely messed myself up because like last week when I was talking about the waxed. Yeah, the waxed. <laughs> right. Uh, he's going to buy a pre-milled kit, which means that I will have to resaw some wide boards down to one eighth of an inch and my bandsaw isn't big enough to do the job. So I'll have to do it by hand, which I have done a few times. But what I was wondering is, is there a handsaw with tooth geometry that would make it a little easier or faster? If there's any information you guys can give to me, it would be greatly appreciated. And we were joking around last week because actually, rather than kind of handing this one off to Shannon, <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm going to go behind your back and I'm going to ask Bob Rosieski <laughs> if he could help us out with this one. Bob of uh, Logan Cabinet Shop. Absolutely. I mean, he totally set me up with a, a great job of uh, sharpening some hand saws for me, which the first set got stolen and the second set uh, I actually did get my hands on. So nice. I was very happy with that. But we have kind of a, a longer answer here. So if you want to go off, maybe get a snack or something, I'll go ahead and get started on this answer. And <laughs> I'm going to refill come my back drink. like 20 minutes. Okay, sounds I should good. have this all wrapped up. <laughs> all right. Do your thing. All right. So Bob wrote back and said, first and most obvious is that you're going to want a rip filed tooth for ripping. The teeth should be filed straight across and flat on top. Now, the next thing is you're going to want pretty much a, a large teeth for the resawing of the eight inch wide stock. So a common rip saw have about five to six points per inch, or that would be four to five teeth per inch, depending on which measuring point to point or gullet to gullet. 
Saws with five or six points per teeth can certainly be used for these cuts. In fact, Bob said he, he did it myself for a long time before I built a larger saw specifically for resawing. So he knows that you can do that with that the, the uh, five to six points per inch. However, while the teeth on a five or six PPI saw may look big compared to, say, a dovetail saw for resawing stock this wide, he said he'd actually consider them kind of small. The problem isn't really in the teeth since only the sharp chisel-like edge of the tooth actually does any cutting. The problem is in the space between the teeth. In a rip this wide, the gullets are going to clog up with shavings before they can exit the curve to dump the waste. In the best scenario, this just makes the saw cut slower because the teeth stop cutting when the waste in the clogged gullets pushes them out of the cut. So in the worst scenario, the gullets clog, clog unevenly and the saw begins to drift in the cut. This may not be a big deal when you're resawing an eight-quarter board, hoping to get two three-quarter inch thick boards. But when you're trying to do a book match of a really expensive piece of, say, like Sitka spruce at one-eighth of an inch, you don't want the saw drifting because you don't have a lot of extra material to plane away. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can get your hands on one, Bob's recommending a bit of a larger saw. Saws with, say, three to four points per inch, uh, while somewhat rare, were made and can still be had. And he's saying that he thinks that this would be an ideal two size for a single person resaw in a shorter length. Now, in terms of angles, I'd stay around four to six degrees of rake, regardless of the number of PPI. Lower than that, and the saw becomes so aggressive with those large teeth that you may not get it moving at all. Higher than that, and it will tend to slow down considerably. And Bob is saying you wouldn't file any fleam on it at all because you want an aggressive rip tooth. I would also set the saw just enough to keep it from binding. The more you set, the more set you add, the more wood you have to remove, and the slower the saw will cut. And just for reference, uh, Bob was saying his personal saw for resawing wide stock has about three points per inch and four degrees of rake. The teeth are really big, but it can saw quite fast and track very straight without the gullets clogging. And this was a custom saw, however, and in terms of finding an old hand saw, you're more likely to find a saw with four PPI. And if you can't find a four PPI saw, uh, you should have no problem finding, say, a five PPI saw. So uh, that's pretty much it. It sounds like what uh, exactly John was looking for in there. Four degrees of rake, and you want a uh, three to four point per inch saw, and that should really, really help you out there. One thing Bob did add to this is uh, just for kind of a a bit of a reference here, uh, he was saying, let's see, uh, in a guitar body size shape of spruce spruce with a well-sharpened saw with three to four PPI, it should take at least five to ten minutes uh, to actually do the resawing with a nice sharp saw in rosewood, you're looking probably at more like 15 to 30 minutes. So you should have some really some rather realistic expectations. Uh, so that way you know, like, well, darn, this saw is not very sharp. It's not going through. Um, no, it's it's working. It's the wood. <laughs> <laughs> you know that so, was uh, that was so much better of an answer than Shannon would have given. I know we'd still actually be waiting for him to finish the answer right now. He'd be telling us about his vacation home. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, here in Maine, we don't actually use PPI. We use. <laughs> He's, he'll go. He would go. Funny thing you mentioned that. That happens to be what we do in semester two of the Handle School. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did see uh, a post the other day. Apparently, there's a woman that's having a garage sale, and she has some amazing hand tools. So everybody in Maine, this just must be just regular information, and it's rather remedial. <laughs> that is. Uh, Shannon's going to be mad at us when he gets back. <laughs> this is what happens <laughs> when what you, you miss a show. What are you going to do? 
Uh, okay, we've got a question here from Adam. He is asking about finishes. He says, as I build my shop, what concerns should I have regarding the storage of unused stains and other finishing products? I've seen the big red steel containers with flammable written all over them, but do I need that? Well, here's the thing. There's kind of two answers to this. There is loud airplane. There <laughs> is uh, what you should do and what many of us do. Oh, I, I like the what you should do because it's always the opposite of what many of us do. <laughs> yes, okay. Um, so the flammable cabinets, you know, that's really the safest way to go. It's a metal cabinet that's rated to handle, you know, something should any of the finishes combust if there's any problems in there, and it'll protect the building that, that the uh, the container is stored in. So that's the way to go if you can, but those tend to be expensive. You may be able to find them at some sort of like used uh, products sales from like maybe a business that that went out of business or something there you might be able to track them down secondhand and save some money but they are also on amazon you could actually get these things and you could see that they're a little bit pricey now what what most people do is they don't do that they put them in a cabinet and just i guess really it's a it's a very fairly small chance of these things just kind of bursting into flames on their own but Ultimately, I don't think it's really worth the risk. So I do a compromise. I have a metal cabinet. And unfortunately, it's not a flammables cabinet, but it is a metal cabinet that I think is certainly better than if the thing were made out of wood, right? So, right. Um, so that's what I store mine. And it's one of those vertical metal cabinets that you find at like um, uh, Sam's Club and, and Costco. Both sell them just with the double doors. Uh, lots of room for lots of different finishes. And yeah, I mean, it's kind of the realistic option for most of us. I, I, I will drop a hundred bucks on a little cabinet, but I'm not sure I want to drop, you know, 500 bucks on a flammables cabinet. Right, absolutely. You know, the old lab that I, I used to work at, we had flammable cabinets in there because we stored a lot of uh, reagent alcohol and some other chemicals. And I remember when we were expanding to carry another line of supplies that we needed, even as a professional lab, for us to track down a cabinet that we could afford for mm-hmm. our, our little lab, it was like pulling our hair out. And that was like really even before the internet was really super easy to access. Yeah, well, it's always yeah. been easy to access. But anyways, before they knew how to access it. Yeah. So that's it's it's definitely one of those things that it, it can be pretty tricky. Yeah, I, I, I hate to admit it, and I know I, I probably will get a lot of grief for this, but I don't really keep that many um, – cans on hand like the stain or or any type of finish i kind of just use what i have and then oftentimes with a little bit that's left over the lid just gets put on nice and tight and it gets put out in the garage up on a cabinet or on a shelf that Mm -hmm. uh, my wife can't reach i'm not so worried about the kids i'm more worried about her and uh, i will put it up there and preferably i try to keep you know a, a nice airflow around them and keep flammables and other combustibles away from them but that's about the extent that i do so i definitely follow fall way out of the what we should be doing Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm looking on amazon right now just so you could see uh they listed there's one here listed as 30 gallon it's about 44 inches high 43 wide 18 deep think of it like almost like a wall hanging cabinet that you might build for your shop Mm -hmm. 545 dollars oh jeez hey yo (laughs) yes so so you could see why most woodworkers do put it on a shelf put it in a you know a wooden cabinet Uh, or in my case, a much less expensive metal cabinet, which again, I'm not claiming that that's going to completely protect my shop in the event of a a fire, but it's certainly better than nothing. Maybe it will just at least delay it long enough for for me to get in there and do something. Well, and actually, that's that's one of the things I always think of is you usually just 
if you're going to be in the shop as often as you are, more than likely, if you can delay it enough, often, oftentimes that will help. Obviously, that's not an answer. So nobody write mm-hmm. in and be like, you guys are giving horrible advice by just telling people to delay things. But really, that's what those fire cabinets do is yeah. they really, really, really put in a delay in there so that hopefully uh, it, it, it won't combust as quickly. Sure, so. sure. And of course, smoke detectors are essential in your shop. You should have them in there. Yep. Uh, and of course, fire extinguishers are essential. Absolutely. And know how to use them. Don't just simply have them. That's one thing, a big mistake that a lot of people have. You can have the fire extinguisher, but if you don't know how to use it, if you're like the person that's like, okay, hold on, I read the instructions. I know the fire's getting closer. Hold on, I'm halfway Where's through the this manual? label. Yeah. Um, well, that's no. the thing. Pick it up, look at it, look at the handle, look at the trigger, read the instructions. There's a pin that you're going to have to pull out in most cases. You know, Make make sure you understand <laughs> you know, what you're going to need to do in case of emergency, because that's not the time to to try and think about this stuff. Um, nope. You just want to kind of react instinctively and, you know, do the safe thing and get that fire out. Yep. Okay. The second question I have here is from Ben, and it's somewhat related because it deals with finishes and uh, cleaning up. Uh, it says, can you talk about how you handle cleanup of oil-based finishes? I'm specifically wondering about how do you pick the right solvent for the finish if there is one that works for almost everything? Uh, do you use several containers of the solvent to clean in stages or just one container? And how do you store, reuse, and dispose of the solvent and sludge? Uh, for me, if you're... Sludge. Sludge. Sounds good. For me, I use pretty much mineral spirits for everything when it comes to cleaning up oil-based finishes. Uh, I've got a big can of it that I buy. If I'm... See, I've been trying to incorporate the stuff that's a little better for the environment, supposedly, uh, mm-hmm. and using that for cleanup tasks. But I tend to use that for, like clean up around machines, not necessarily anything that has to do with finishing because it's kind of like that white consistency to it. And I just don't want that contacting anything that a clear finish is supposed to be contacting later. Right. Uh, so for me, I just use good old odorless uh, mineral spirits. That's the only solvent that I'll use. Naphtha can work too, but it's more expensive. So, you know, why bother? Paint thinner can work, but it smells atrocious it's oh yes <laughs> horrible horrible stuff so again for me mineral spirits for everything oil based uh do i use several containers if i were cleaning a brush you know periodically i might do that like i'd have my my messy material and then the stuff that's a little cleaner and then right. a little cleaner kind of move it in the stages um but i usually apply with uh, rags so i don't typically have to do much cleaning of oil based materials after the fact um, right. i will say that when it comes to cleaning my gun if I'm doing HVLP and I'm spraying lacquer a lot of the time, for instance, when I was doing it in more, a little bit closer to production because I was building more often for uh, clients, I actually would have containers set up with lacquer thinner that I would use for, um, you know, for my gun parts. So at the end of the day or at the end of a couple of days, I'd be able to just disassemble the, the gun, throw the parts into the little bin, let it soak, and then I could move them to the second one, which is cleaner. And then after that second soak, then I could just kind of wipe it down with a clean rag and, and call it done. So that's not a bad idea if you do have to clean up frequently. Uh, as for storage, reuse, and disposal, storage we just talked about. You know, if you have a flammables cabinet, metal cabinet's not a bad idea. Um, of course, metal containers for these things is a good idea too. Um, you know, disposal, I like to let these things, you know, this is something like any leftover finish. Uh, and I even called some of the local garbage disposal authority people to find mm-hmm. out like, okay, I'm a small shop, hobby shop. What do I do with leftover finishes? Um, if you dispose of them as liquid, 
they are, you know, there's special handling required. So what they said you should do is just let them uh, evaporate. And if you have a safe spot to put them outside, let them evaporate. And then the dry crap that's left over just goes in the regular trash. Right. That sounds like something uh, you'll hear people mention that with uh, uh, stains or even like paints. You know, you have a little bit left over. Uh, For us, we'll throw kitty litter or something in there to let it become a solid. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then that way it's easier to dispose of versus putting it down any type of drain. I mean, you know, as a laboratory, that's one thing we had to be very careful of, even with our like reagent alcohols. And you can't put it down the drain. You have Mm -hmm. to find a way to take care of it. And if you do, oh, my God, you got to dilute the living daylights out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Not a good idea. So. So interestingly enough, it doesn't, to me, like when I first heard that, that didn't sound right. Like, wait a minute, I just let this <laughs> off gas into the environment and then throw yeah, You away. don't want it in the waterway, but it's okay to be in the air. <laughs> yeah, but this, this, is, this is what I was told and it, uh, you know, that's what I've been doing. Unfortunately, I'm not a high producer, you know, so I don't, ma- I don't do this a lot. Uh, but if it becomes unusable or it's old and uh, that's pretty much how I handle it. Uh, okay, that's it for me. Oh, that sounds awesome. That I pretty much I don't I don't do a lot of it, but that's very much close to what I do, especially when it comes to the cleaning up. Um, yeah, I have like one or two containers, which is really dirty, and that's not so bad. So <laughs> right. that's where my brushes go. All right. Well, hey, we have this next question. This comes from Pat, and this is kind of along the lines of a finishing question. Actually, it is a finishing question, and Pat says. I love the look of Watco's Danish oil, but I'm noticing that some pieces take several days to dry with a top coat of poly and some pieces dry overnight. Is this because of the humidity here in my Georgia garage or are these oils not supposed to get along well with a poly top coat or two? Why some and not all or none? So uh, one thing I will say for sure is when it comes to humidity, that is obviously going to have an effect on any type of finish. Mm -hmm. Uh, High humidity, if it's really, really high, don't even waste your time doing any type of finishing if you can't control the environment that you're going to be finishing in. Maybe wait for it to, you know, if you have to wait a few extra days, uh, then it's probably best to do the finish. But specifically when it comes to putting down the Danish oil and then, say, doing a top coat of poly, it sounds like the main issue that we're having here is that the Danish oil hasn't completely dried. And this can definitely vary from piece to piece from what I'm seeing. I haven't I don't have a lot of experience with this, but from looking in the forums, and this is I know a common question that comes up periodically, it tends to be that whatever piece you're working on, due to the the grain, maybe it's a lot of end grain in one that so it's gonna wick it up a little bit easier, so it's gonna get out of the way, it's gonna dry a little bit faster or something. It would the the issue that you're running into with the top coat of poly not drying as well has everything to do with the underlying oil hasn't dried so it's really really messing with that top coat so in that situation what i'm seeing what i might recommend is uh regardless of the humidity you might want to give a little bit extra longer time letting that initial danish oil set up first and and cure before you ever apply the poly to it Mm -hmm. because that seems to be the only for sure way that you're going to get a really uh, decent uh, top coating from the poly. Yeah. Um, I know some people might say, well, you know, hey, you, you know, it's a universal binder, shellac, you can go that route. But uh, it just sounds like everything I'm reading and the, from what I've been talking with people, it's definitely that the the underlying Danish oil just did not cure enough. And that's actually what's, you know, uh, in, inhibiting the poly from setting up also. Yeah, if it's not dry, it will mess you up. And what I would probably suggest if he's having this inconsistency problem or if it's uh, just too damn humid, um, apply it in thinner layers. 
Yeah. You know, that, uh, it's really about, yeah, take basically flood it on real quick and then wipe off the excess and really give it a good buffing. Um, it may take a few more coats potentially to get where you want to be, uh, but I think it's worth it because it'll help it cure a little bit better. The other thing is, and I always encourage people to do this, take a test piece and compare Danish oil, then poly versus poly alone. Because yeah. in so many instances, it just doesn't make a difference visually. And if it doesn't make a difference visually, you're just kind of wasting your time putting on a Danish oil and then coating it over with a polyurethane. Um, so it depends on the poly. It depends on the wood. Darker and lighter woods respond a little differently. Some may take on the Danish oil and, and get a little bit of a different look to it from the Danish oil. That's what people are going for. But I find that in most cases, you're just spinning your wheels and creating finishing problems that you could have avoided just by going with the thin poly right off the bat. Yep, that sounds. It's so funny because I'll hear these, you know, formulas where somebody's like, "Well, I did, you know, boiled linseed oil, and then I added this, and I added this." I'm like, "What do you got? Like three, four <laughs> different finishes there? Yeah, Just choose one." <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and again, sometimes people can see a difference, and if you can see a difference, all the power to you. But try it. Answer the question for yourself, and if you can't see a difference, then skip the Danish oil or just go with the Danish oil finish alone if that's the look you're going for. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. yeah, the underlying thing, give it a chance to dry. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. Don't do not do anything. If that feels tacky still, never coat it with more finish because that's going to just exacerbate the problem. Heck yes. Oh, yeah. All right. So... Let's go into some iTunes reviews here. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, just go to the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and you could drop in a five star. We'll we'll accept a four, but we kind of well, you may, but you know that will totally impede on my happiness advantage. That's right. <laughs> Matt's very focused on being happy these days, so don't disappoint Matt. Give us a five star rating, uh, and you could do like Headspawn did. He said, "Awesome podcast. Why did it take me so long to find you?" <laughs> I was going to read that wrong. Uh, each episode is a golden nugget. Love listening in the shop and in the car. Well, thank you very much, Headspawn. We no, I'm sorry, it's not Headspawn. It's Headpawn. <laughs> I just, why did I put an S in there? It, it, it would definitely roll a little bit easier. There's something you're just going from that Headpawn. Headpawn. It's a very hard stop. <laughs> Headpawn. All right, we got it. We got it this time. Uh, just a quick reminder that today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com, SawStop at SawStop.com, and Audible. And remember, you can go to AudiblePodcast.com slash WoodTalk to get that free audiobook. And also, we have uh, recurring donations if you want to help support the show. Just go to WoodTalkShow.com, look over in the left-hand column, and you'll find some links to uh, both recurring donations and also just a one-time donation. Uh, and sometimes a, a few bucks is, is all it needs to make a difference and help the, the three of us out with this whole venture that we're, we're doing here. Oh, yes, please. And we'd like to thank... <laughs> Please, my wife. Please, oh my gosh. My wife. <laughs> it could only me. get better if you help more. <laughs> I knew you need more money. Okay, uh, Archie K., thank you so much for the donation. We appreciate appreciate that. And uh, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. All right, folks. Well, hey, if you want to drop us a line, maybe you have a comment, a question, a topic suggestion, or you just want to tell Shannon how much you miss him while he's at one of his many vacation homes <laughs> over there in the main vacation home, uh, you can do that by leaving us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. You can email us at 
woodtalkonline at gmail.com where you can leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. Hey, and if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And that is pretty much it. Now, usually at this point, are we still waiting for Shannon to finish an answer? Yes. No, he's no. Still, well, he's still telling us about the resaw uh, tooth configuration. Yeah, he's, he's bragging about the fact that he has a, a blacksmith that can make him whatever tooth configuration he needs. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, hey, uh, just a quick reminder. Don't, uh, don't be afraid to be happy. I'm going to be after I go listen to this book a little more. If I don't get some food in my belly, nobody's going to be happy. <laughs> Daddy Van ain't happy. Ain't nobody happy. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you next time. See ya. This podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there. 